Hey, Bubblies. Jen here, just popping in quick before the episode actually gets started to let you know that there were a few points where my audio goes super crackly, and it's really annoying, and trying to edit it out is above my skill level and quite possibly just impossible. So uh, just to let you know, I, I just had to cut it all. There was nothing salvageable. Uh, so there was just two times kind of towards the end um, that had to get cut. I left in the part where Aaron mentions that I start to sound crackly, just kind of as a reference point. Uh, but what ended up being cut there was basically just me professing my love for Beth Grant and how amazing she is and how much I love her. And uh, she's just she's great in everything. And I always I love seeing her. So it was in short that <laughs> and Beth Grant is amazing. Uh, my six degrees of Nicolas Cage all had to be cut because that shit got really crackly. So um, that all had to go as well as kind of introducing the next segment of uh, what's been streaming where I ask the tolerable what they've been watching or, you know, and it's it's expanded now to what they've been playing or reading, what they've whatever they've been up to. So uh, there's no introduction for that. So then it goes... The, the audio will go from Aaron's Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage and professing her love for an underappreciated Nick flick uh, and then goes right into what she's been streaming. So it's a if it seems a little disjointed, it's because it is. So uh, and I am going to save the Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage and I will post that at the end of the episode. Um, and I'm not even going to tell you which celebrities... I used for this one. So you're just going to have to wait and find out. Okay. And that is it. So just wanted to, like I said, give you guys a heads up on that. And I do apologize for that, but I hope you still enjoy the episode. And uh, yeah, that's it. Okay. Thanks. Bye. sex. Don't threaten me with a good time, am I right? <laughs> and questions your commitment to sparkle motion. That's right, weirdos. We're talking about Donnie Darko, theatrical versus director's cut. Hey, twin. Hey. hey. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be back in the bubble. Absolutely. I haven't been here forever, so. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. It's so weird because like when we, because we've been recording for our Twin It to Win It podcast, so. Yeah. Sometimes I get them a little confused because I'm like, well, we just recorded, but it was for the other one. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh, duh. <laughs> but yes, I'm super excited to have you back. I'm super excited to talk about this movie with you because I know how much you like it and love it and enjoy it. So, but yeah. And then everyone, make sure you stick around because we're going to have a fun little surprise during the wrap it up portion of this episode. Just a fun little thing to celebrate today's podcast crossover. So, Erin, do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I have three now. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, well, my main one is It's a Fandom Thing, which is a podcast that covers all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from the female perspective. Um, and this will come up, I'm sure, again. We did a Donnie Darko episode that's over two. It's like over two and a half hours long. 
um, in 2021. And we had Carla, who's been in your bubble frequently. Um, another frequent panelist of mine, Sasha. And then also, I just want to mention um, filmmaker, writer, director, actor, Josh Rubin, who did uh, Scare Me, Werewolves Within. He started in like College Humor, I believe it was. He's done a bunch of things and he's fantastic. He's a great human being. If you haven't watched his movies, watch his movies. He's on there as a guest as well. And so is his amazing and very equally talented wife, Lauren Sick, who is also a director. So uh, you can go back and listen to that and hear a lot of different different thoughts maybe than I'll be sharing here. I don't know. And then uh, I recently started a third po podcast uh, because, of course, we already mentioned Twin It to Win It, but the third one is a podcast talking about the fictional character Dean Winchester from Supernatural, and it's called It's a Dean Thing. And my co-hosts on that are Paula and Susie, and we are taking a deep dive into the character Dean Winchester going season by season, not episode by episode, and talking about different things. Um, probably by the time this is out, uh, definitely by the time this is out, our second episode, it's a bi-weekly podcast, but our second episode will be out talking about Dean and sex and women and his relationship with Cassie in the first season. Nice. Oh, yeah. That's so awesome. I love that you guys are doing a podcast around Dean Winchester because, I mean, who doesn't love Dean Winchester? Who doesn't love Denson? So, and yeah, if, if you don't love Dean Winchester, then I can't really be friends <laughs> with you. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> I did always like how Dean was like when he's reading his like adult magazines. They're always like Asian girls. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point because there are some issues with that yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yes, I will. I, he's not above criticism, but it's very hard for me to critique this character. He's my favorite fictional character ever. So, so make sure you guys check out. Uh, all the other podcasts when you're done listening to this one. So we'll go ahead and we'll jump right into it. So as I said, we are talking about Donnie Darko and that movie stars, in case you didn't know, the Hall kids, Jake and Maggie, Jenna Malone, the late great Patrick Swayze, National Treasure Beth Grant, Drew Barrymore, Noah Wiley, just to name a few. This movie was written and directed by Richard Kelly. It's available on Tubi, Pluto and Prime and at your local library. So. This is your spoiler warning slash brief synopsis. What IMDb says, after narrowly escaping a bizarre accident, a troubled teenager is plagued by visions of a man in a large rabbit suit who manipulates him to commit a series of crimes. What I says about this is, for as long as I live, I will never understand this fucking movie. Overthinking is a bitch. So <laughs> I love this movie and I enjoy watching it. And <laughs> And every time I think, okay, I got it. I don't got it. So, <laughs> all right. So, like I said, we're going to talk really more about the movie, but we will be incorporating the differences between theatrical and directors. And if there's a preferred preference between the two for each of us. So it's not going to just be focusing on the differences. We are going to be talking about the movie because this movie definitely needs to be talked about for like ever. So <laughs> with that said, Aaron, what are your general thoughts on the movie? Well, um, I'm talking theatrical version here when I say okay. this part. Uh, I've only seen the director's cut twice. Watching it last night was my second time watching it. Uh, so this will probably give you a hint on where I come down on the two versions. Um, 
I, this was one of the first movies I ever got through Netflix through, it was like, I think like only maybe the second movie or something like that. And uh, back in 2003, and I watched it, and this does have to do with my thoughts on the movie, I promise. I watched it and fell instantly in love with it. And I watched it every day that first week and kept that copy until I ordered the movie like the next day on DVD, bought it, and until my DVD came in. And then I watched the whole movie or part of the movie or the extras or there's commentary tracks, and I love the commentary tracks, every day for a month. Um, I, I, I have seen this movie over 60 times. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen it because I've seen it so many times. I've seen this movie more than any other movie ever. Wow. Um, yeah. And I, this movie means a lot to me personally. I recognize myself in a lot of aspects of this film. I have a very different take on what this film is about. And that's why I have such different feeling on the director's cut. Um, and, my I except for now now it's kind of stopped but pretty much every time I watched this movie for the first 60 whatever times I would notice something different mm -hmm. and that is a very rare thing I cry every time I watch this movie I cry every Aww. time and when I first discovered this movie I was insufferable with how I'd be like you have to watch this movie I'm showing this to everybody <laughs> so I this is like this is part of who I am. This is part of my DNA, honestly, is Donnie Darko. So it's so, you know, I, I could talk about this movie forever. So <laughs> I will try not to. But, um, you know, I have very, and I'm sure we'll get to it later, so I won't necessarily share what my thoughts are and what the movie is about now, unless you want me to. But my overall thoughts on this film is, I understand this film has critics. I understand there are people that hate this movie. I understand all that kind of stuff. But to me, everything about this movie, yes, I know there are things to critique, but everything about this movie is beautiful to me. I think this is a beautiful love letter to the 80s. I think it's a beautiful love letter to youth, especially if you are a troubled youth. I think it is such a great depiction of mental illness because that's what I think this movie is about um, and in a very nice and kind way. And I just, I just love this movie so much. I, I wouldn't love Jake Gyllenhaal as much as I love Jake Gyllenhaal without this movie. Everything about this movie, the the music in the theatrical version is all perfect. <laughs> so, yeah. There you go. There's my brief. <laughs> General thoughts. No, I love it. So, yeah. So I, I, I can't remember the first time I saw it, but it's been, it, it was a while ago. And very confusing, but like, I think I was still around that age where I was like, I loved like dark, confusing movies because they were like so deep. Like I was super deep and like dark and confusing, like, oh my God. But, <laughs> and, and I loved Jake Gyllenhaal. I, I, I don't know if this was my first movie with him, but like, I remember watching him in Bubble Boy and just thinking he was like the cutest little thing ever. I was like, oh my God, he's so dorky and adorable and I love it. And then there's this movie where he's, you know, more troubled. He's a troubled youth as the <laughs> synopsis on IMDb says. But I, I just, I really love this movie. And I think that part of it is you kind of get into it when it starts and everything and it seems so unassuming in terms of like sci-fi and like a supernatural element or anything like that and then 
it kind of starts going down that road. And for me, it was always like, wait, what the fuck is happening? This isn't just like a a, a regular, quote, regular kind of movie. Like, it's not, like, I didn't, the sci-fi bit, I guess, with the time travel and the portals and the alternate universes. I'm like, wait a minute, what is happening here? So, but I love that. I love movies that leave me a little perplexed and confused. Um, any kind of strong emotional reaction, good or bad, you got to kind of give it credit for. So this movie, I I think the last time I watched it was when I did my uh, Patrick Swayze episode with my cage crew, Adam, Eric, and Laura. So, but, um, but yeah, I, I love it. I find that there's more humor in it than I think I tend to remember, or maybe it's just like a, oh yes, this part's coming up and it is entertaining. So maybe I laugh a little harder, but I I love this movie. I love that it's confusing. Uh, I was finishing up the director's cut this morning and my husband joined me for like the last half hour and it ends and he's like, I have no idea what the fuck is going on. I was like, good, then you get it. <laughs> and it's like, I know he's seen this movie, but I know it's been a while, but I, um, yeah, I just... I, I really enjoy this movie and I feel like every time you watch it, you can maybe take a little something different away from it. Not necessarily changing the story, but maybe just changing your own personal theory or perception of it. Um, I think that it's not only just a sci-fi timey-wimey kind of movie, but it's also like that coming of age, troubled angsty teens and whatnot, you know, mental illness, as you had mentioned. Um, and so I think it's just a really interesting blend of kind of all of that. And it works. It does. I've got a confused look on my face, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, is there anything that you really want to start off with? Anything you really want to get off your chest straight away? We'll start there. Oh, okay. The big thing. Okay, so the big or big reason I love this movie so much, and I'm talking about theatrical version, and this is where I want to talk about the comparison between the theatrical and the director's cut. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand director's cut, director's vision, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes there are reasons things get cut, and there are reasons things are edited, in my opinion. Um, the reason I love the theatrical version is because I honestly think any interpretation of what you think this movie is about is correct. Any interpretation. And I think, I know on the surface, it's very much, you know, time travel, all of that. But I think there's a lot more going on personally than just that. And so I think with the theatrical version, not everything is explained mm -hmm. and not everything is on the nose. Whereas with the director's cut, there's so much that's like, let me just say in this dialogue that this mm -hmm. is what's going on. And it makes <laughs> me want to just punch somebody because to me, it takes away from the emotional um, journey that this film takes me on mm -hmm. when I'm watching the director's cut. Like, um, like having all those close-ups of the eye and the mm -hmm. first one starts with the first wake up uh, before the, the jet engine cr crashes in his bedroom and he leaves the eye close-ups. And then you'd have, as it goes on, like you'd hear like uh, traffic control, air traffic control, and you'd see all this like airlines and all this space and all this other took me it takes me out of the movie and to me it's explaining like this is definitely sci-fi it's definitely time travel there's nothing mm -hmm. else going on here that's what this is he's saving the world because if he dies the world would be better without him there kind of thing he's a superhero um it just kind of 
irritates me, honestly. Um, and there are some added scenes like, well, showing passages from the time travel book, book, while I understand that at the same time, it's kind of like here, in case you don't understand what we're talking about, it's like dumbing things down for the audience here, read this line. And it's just kind of like, I don't want to read that. I want to actually see, I want to see it. Do don't show. Don't tell is a big thing in film Mm -hmm. show. Don't tell. And if you're going to just blatantly tell me what's going on, it just kind of annoys me. Um, the whole, you know, there are some things that I will compliment later about stuff that I do appreciate as far as like, there's a couple of missing scenes that I, that are added in the director's cut that I like, but the dialogue in the hotel room after the, uh, the, the jet engine has crashed and they're staying at that holiday inn Mm -hmm. and you have the parents dialogue in the director's cut. It's so long compared to the theatrical cut Mm -hmm. and it's so on the nose, like the father talking about Donnie dodging death and this whole thing, it's so much better and has so much more meaning to it and seems more real when the father says, remember that he mentions the guy in, in high school who got, who was killed. And he says, they said he had tragedy and they, 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 they can say that, they used to, they say that about Donnie too. Mm-hmm. And that is so much more powerful than going into a long explanation. And I, about Donnie dodging death, and, you know, there's also a line during um, Jim Cunningham's big presentation in the auditorium, which is one of my favorite scenes in the in the whole film. But there's a line from Frank saying, pay close attention. We don't need that. That's also not needed. We know he's going to be paying close attention. There's just a lot of things like that where it feels like. And Richard Kelly was a very new young filmmaker um, I'm actually not a big fan of Usher's other works, to be quite honest. Um, but he, so I think that was just kind of a thing that new filmmakers do or where you are like, I just want to make sure everybody actually gets what I'm trying to say. And granted, I know people still don't sometimes when they watch the director's cut. But to me, the director's cut is so on the nose with that kind of stuff. There's other there's another big thing that I'll criticize about it later. But so that's the first thing I want to start with. Anyway, I'll stop. So. <laughs> So I, by the end of it all, I do still like the director's cut better, but I have a greater appreciation for the theatrical because like you said, it leaves things more open to interpretation and doesn't lay things out so specifically like the director's cut does, uh, especially with the whole like the portal and uh, Roberto Sparrow's book and everything. So in a way, I feel like the theatrical cut you're able to maybe focus a little bit more on on Donnie and kind of like that coming of age aspect of the movie with this like sci-fi bit a bit more not in the background but because it's so open to interpretation and and not so laid out as to this is what's going on um I feel like that leaves room to like really follow more of the character and what he's kind of going through Whereas with the director's cut, because everything's laid out, and I do like the passages from the book, because again, I'm just like, what the fuck is happening? I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) um, I need dumbed down versions sometimes. (laughs) So I like that it's, it explains that a little bit more where maybe you're not so much taken out of it. And so you're like, okay, so that's the part with the sci-fi bit. And really kind of how it 
how it really works more into the story. Does any of this make sense? <laughs> I just, I that's what I like about the director's cut is even though some things are a bit more laid out, it kind of maybe takes away some of the what the fuck is going on for some folks. Me, hi, I'm some folks. But in watching the theatrical version, I do like that those passages in the book aren't shown because it really kind of still leaves you wondering with like, what is happening? What is all of this? What does it mean? Kind of thing, um, which can be a lot of fun and lead to like a lot of great conversations with people about what they think it is. And when you're talking about people's interpretations and what they and how they perceive things, no one's wrong, right? Because it's your own, it's what you take away from it. And I think in in that and in those conversations, you pick up on things that like, oh shit, I didn't notice that, or that's a really good point. So when you rewatch it, you can rewatch it with a little bit more of a broader perspective because you've got things in your mind that you didn't have before. And you're like, okay, I can see this. And then maybe you start drawing lines and different conclusions and new theories and whatnot. So that's what I like about the the theatricals because it leaves it that much more open. But I appreciate the director's cut because it explains a lot more. And I think I had read that Richard Kelly does like the theatrical version because of the openness. Um, just in going through the uh, trivia on IMDb, and it looked like a lot of stuff was taken from the commentary. So if anything's incorrect, it's IMDb's fault, not my fault. So, so I like that even the director kind of almost prefers the theatrical version. So I'm not sure who decided to do the director's cut. Maybe it was just a rally of a bunch of confused <laughs> teenagers. Like, we don't get it. <laughs> but yeah. I think I think both are great. I think you can appreciate things from both of them, take things away that and see things that maybe you didn't get before. So but personally, I still prefer the um, the director's cut again greater appreciation for the theatrical one so well it's a very um you know i often wonder did, did you see the director's cut first or did you see the theatrical i'm no. trying to remember i think i think the first first time i saw it it might have been the theatrical cut but it's it's been so long i i honestly can't remember and when i watched the movie for the Patrick Swayze episode. Shit, now I can't even remember. I think it was the director's cut that I was. It that was, I was because I remember yeah. listening to the episode. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, mm, y'all are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like during that watch where I was like, wait a minute, which, what am I watching? Like, <laughs> cause I think I was on my phone, like seeing that there was two versions. I don't remember, but yeah. So it's been, I, I guess at this point, the theatric or the director's cut is the one I have seen more than the the theatrical version what's well, interesting because i mean this if people don't know i mean this is a big cult film and this has a huge following and like passionate dedicated fans that have like there's um websites that have been dedicated to this all sorts of stuff like figuring out different hidden clues different meanings and the debate between the theatrical and the director's thing is a huge thing some people, it's really is, I don't, I don't think I haven't, at least so far, unless people are just ho-hum on the movie overall, I haven't seen anyone come down, like, kind of in the middle and say they're both okay, whatever. 
unless they don't, they're not passionate about it. But people that are passionate about this movie are very passionate about the choice of which one they think is better. And I have, I have found like, I know Roger Ebert, um, the late film critic, Roger Ebert, he did not like this movie very much. So the theatrical version, he gave it like, I think two and a half stars or something, which actually, I mean, I guess isn't that bad, but whatever. And, but he did, he saw the theatrical version and then later he saw the director's cut and he's like, the director's cut actually makes me like this movie more. And so there is a camp like that, I think, where Mm -hmm. because of the fact that it is so, um, the theatrical version is so like left up to interpretation and it doesn't spell everything out. And some people say there's no, I don't have, I don't understand anything in this movie. I think that a lot of times for, for, for that camp, and I understand that camp, they appreciate the the director's cut. So I often wonder if I had seen the director's cut first, one or two things. One, if I would prefer it, and two, if not, if this movie would have the same impact on me as it has. Mm-hmm. I wonder that just because when I'm watching the director's cut, like I said, I've only watched it twice. And yesterday was the second time. First time I watched it was over 10 years ago. <laughs> um, and I don't remember because I, I, think, I think because this film, I mean, this film, bombed at the box office it made no money mm-hmm. and i think because this film became a cult classic and because people wanted to see the director's cut i think that's why it was released if i'm remembering correctly i'm okay. sure there are huge fans of this film yelling at me right now like you can't call yourself a true fan if you don't know this um but i i don't remember i i watched it because i wanted to see the director's cut i was like oh i wonder if i'm gonna like this more and i think the director's cut was actually i have this memory um, of it being re-released in the theaters as the director's cut too at around that. I didn't, I've never seen this movie in the theaters, sadly. I want to someday. Um, but anyway, so I had watched it that time and I didn't like it. And then when I watched it this time, I was like, <laughs> and I, th- and I think it's just because of the fact that I've watched this movie so many yeah. times and it means so much to me that it's like certain things from the director's cut just kind of, it's like, this isn't supposed to be here. Uh, you know, so I think mm-hmm. that's like the music. The music is the big thing for me mm-hmm. that I struggle with with the director's cut too because, and I know this, and I know the reason it got changed in theatrical was rights and stuff like that mm-hmm. because the fact that it opens up and instead of having, um, the Killing Moon by um, by Echo and the Bunnymen be the first song, having um, Never Tear Us Apart by NXS, which I love that song, but having that open it does not fit to me, the movie, mm-hmm. at all. I don't even think that song belongs in this movie. <laughs> and it just bothered me because I was like, no, you're supposed to have The Killing Moon because even the opening chords of The Killing Moon and all of that fit so perfectly with this movie. And I know they have it later after um, he's had sex um, with Gretchen, but that doesn't even fit there. To me, it still should be Milky Way, under the Milky Way, which is what it is in the theatrical. So mm-hmm. anyway, so that's another thing that I struggle with is the music. Also, there's um, the use of um, of voices carry in the scene when Donnie and his mom are talking in the very beginning. She's like, where, where do you go at night? And when he calls her a bitch. Mm-hmm. And having that song playing in the background, I don't know, it takes away from, 
I think there's a lot of subtlety in that scene mm-hmm. of a teenager who is trying to, he's very upset that he has to keep going to therapy. He's upset about all that. He's upset about what that conversation is. But And when he calls his mom a bitch, and then you see his face change right after it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, I didn't really mean that. I don't really yeah. mean that. I really want my mom in my life, but I'm also a teenager and I'm also struggling with all this stuff. And so to have that scene without music, I think works a lot better. Mm-hmm. And I know they kept a lot of other ones. I mean, I mean, I don't think this movie, the ending would work as well without uh, Mad World, without the Gary Jules version of Mad World at the end. But mm-hmm. which, thank God that didn't change. Mm-hmm. The first time. <laughs> anyway. That's so funny you say that because when I started, because I watched the theatrical first and then the director. So when I hit play on the theatrical and the movie opens and it starts and the music plays, I'm like, this ain't right. <laughs> I don't know. It just, because I don't know. It, it it just, it felt a little off for me. And I, and like, I don't know. It's not like I've seen one or the other more times, you know, than the other one. But I was just like, oh, this this feels off to me. That's That was kind of my take. So then when I got to the director's cut and that opening played out, I was like, all right, this better. <laughs> you yeah, maybe we should have done, night. I was going to say, maybe we should have saved this one for our other podcast. <laughs> Theatrical versus directors. <laughs> but I, um, but I, I would agree though with the scene with the mom um, in that, in the beginning the the music score does take away because it's that much more impactful during the theatrical cut i think it it just i think the moment gets lost right because it like you said there's subtleties in it and i think as an uh, a previously angsty teen as a current mom i'm just like i kind of see both sides right like i'm i've been kind of where where donnie was in that moment where you're just like eh, you know like eh, fuck my parents they're so dumb they don't know anything but i still really love them and i know they care about me and they're trying really hard <laughs> yeah. and then being a parent and kind of having that moment where my kid has gotten to that point of calling me a bitch or thinking i'm a bitch you know it's one of those shitty milestones <laughs> that no one really prepares a parent for i think so I I saw it from like in the theatrical version, definitely both sides. Like, oh shit, I remember being a Donnie, but now I'm I'm a bit more of the mom where I, I would go in and be like, well, our kid just called me a bitch. And I'd probably take it way worse <laughs> than she did. I'd probably just crumple to the floor. <laughs> but I think, yeah, the music definitely kind of takes away that from that moment. Um, because yeah, teen or parent or whatever, adult, I think, I think it's relatable, um, more so in the theatrical because it just kind of stands out that much more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess there are just some things about the theatrical that I did like, like that moment over the director's cut. Um, but with the director's cut, like I said, I do kind of like those moments with Roberta Sparrow's book. It, it's just kind of cool too because it's like, oh, it's like this old mysterious book and who knows how much more it knows like you know how like old books and movies just seem so mysterious and like kind of magical and like why aren't all old books cool like that (laughs) or 
is that just me? No, I know what you're saying. I see what you're saying. <laughs> I appreciate you trying. <laughs> see my perspective. <laughs> no, I, I do. But, I do understand. I, I do want to say I do understand why people appreciate the director's cut. It's just mm-hmm. for me. Sure. It takes away the emotional journey that this movie is for me. It doesn't sure. feel, it feels very stilted and very, um, it feels too long. Like there are so many scenes that are so, feel so much longer and kind of um, not real to me, like mm-hmm. very forced. And like, I think even in some scenes that there weren't very many changes between the two you can still in the director's cut, they kind of feel, um, I don't know, like the performances aren't as powerful. The dialogue isn't as powerful. And so I think that's why for me, I struggle with the director's cut because Mm -hmm. the theatrical version, you know, means so much to me. And I think with the director's cut, it's very much watching a writer and director who hasn't yet killed a lot of his darlings, basically. So, Mm -hmm. which is a big thing. You know, some of the things that you love as a filmmaker or a writer that you want to hold on to, sometimes those are the things that have to go for something Mm -hmm. to work better. And you can really, for me personally, tell that in the director's version. But I really think that's because the theatrical version holds such Mm -hmm. a deep, deep spot in my, uh, occupies such a deep spot in my soul and my heart. And like Mm -hmm. I said, I've watched this movie more than any other movie ever. And Mm -hmm. I mean... I really was insufferable when I first discovered this film because I I wanted everybody to watch this. I made people watch this that they were like, what? Why did you make me watch this movie? <laughs> and then I've had the other where it was like, oh, yeah, this is a really good movie. Thanks for making me watch this movie. Mm-hmm. And so it it it's a part of my identity. It's like mm-hmm. it's it's right there with like dean winchester where it's like just such a part of who i am it's part of my it's become part of my makeup but yeah you know and that makes sense because you had that connection with the theatrical at a younger age and it's really spoke to you and so it's always kind of hard to be like you know even as much as a person might try to be open to a slightly altered version it's never going to be the same. It's just never going to capture that moment of the first time seeing it and experiencing it and those first initial thoughts about the movie and and everything. That's never going to be replaced. So I completely understand and I, I appreciate and I love your love for the movie, for the theatrical version. And, you know, in watching the theatrical version, knowing how much you loved that version, really kept I really tried to keep like an open mind and trying to be like okay what is it about this version that really speaks to Aaron and to the fans of the theatrical version and I and I in my opinion I think it's just the open-endedness of it and you know there's obviously still talk about the portals and everything but it isn't like so in your face you know where you're just kind of left thinking I don't know. The whole portal shit does get a little confusing because I'm an overthinker. So it's like, okay, so he, <laughs> the movie opens and Frank saves his life. And then he, he lives the next like 28 days experiencing life and yada, yada, and, and uh, the lives he touches and then realizes what he has to do to kind of set things right. 
but it's like is the world better off without donnie darko because he put a pedo in jail so i mean like that's good and now not <laughs> see these are the things i get hung up on <laughs> no i totally i totally get it i understand and the and especially that thing with um with patrick swayze's character with jim cunningham i understand the critique there i do take from it that everybody when they all woke up and they had the same dream of all mm-hmm. the acknowledgement of what happened is everybody is um realizing who this person is including beth grant's character which is mm-hmm. the most important character to realize who he is honestly mm-hmm. because I think she would be the one that would actually, if she really honestly knew, might actually do something, mm-hmm. um, who you hope. So I do get that critique there where, but what about this guy who's a gross, disgusting pedophile? What about this guy? Is something going to happen to him? And I under I understand that critique. That is the mm-hmm. one area that I really will be like, yeah, yeah, they shouldn't have even done that with that character. Maybe they should have had him be like, laundering money or something like that something less Mm -hmm. severe so that you are like well people are still going to be in danger but i try to see it that maybe they're like waking up to the reality of who this person is Mm -hmm. um hopefully Mm -hmm. um and so i i totally totally get that and and there is if you listen to um the commentary tracks which i encourage everybody to listen to the commentary tracks there's one with some of the cast, um, I believe Jake Gyllenhaal's on one of them and stuff. And then there's one with a lot of the um, people, but uh, like um, I can't remember which crew members. But Richard Kelly is, I think one of them is just the cast on it and not the director. If I'm remembering correctly, I haven't listened to him in like since 2003, so <laughs> pardon me. Um, and there's a couple of things that are pointed out about the ending, like. Uh, when you hear the the car horn beep when mm-hmm. um when his sister comes home when Maggie Gyllenhaal's character comes home mm-hmm. that is actually Frank trying to say to Donnie we did it we're back here everything's fine and trying to oh. let him know you know which I can understand oh. missing that but that's a lot of the reason the the horn is on gotcha and then also it is said in the commentary track I believe and once again I haven't listen to it in years that um donnie isn't necessarily aware that he actually time traveled like there's a part of him that is like oh that was some really weird Mm -hmm. dream and that's why he's kind of laughing and kind of like okay um maybe my medication needs to be adjusted or maybe i really am having you know very lucid dreaming or something like that and so i think there is that interpretation too where he doesn't realize he actually saved the world and why doesn't he get out of there? Whereas, you know, if he did get out of there, he would still meet Gretchen, still have all the other stuff maybe happen. Although everybody else wakes up from a dream. So maybe it would have been different, but he didn't realize he could wake up and Mm -hmm. everything is going to be different because people are realizing stuff in their dreams. And so he doesn't necessarily have to die. Because mm. now things are different and he knows what would happen. And so everything will be okay. But he's not comprehending the fact that that actually happened and mm-hmm. that that was all real. 
So that's that interpretation. So that's why he just kind of goes to sleep. He's just like, okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, there's, and, and I go back and forth on that. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Cause that last scene, you know, him laughing, it it's, I think it can definitely definitely be one of like the more confusing moments because it's like, what is he laughing about? What is he understanding? What does he get? What doesn't he get? Is it like you said, just he's just like, wow, that was a bananas ass dream. Like, holy shit. <laughs> or does he actually get it? And he realizes like he just sees that big picture. Everything has come full circle. And he realizes like that whole like 28 days was, you know, obviously leading up to this moment. And he's like at peace with it. He's comfortable. He's um ready you know in that sense so but i also can't help but wonder about like about gretchen and her mom so sure as far as we know gretchen lives um but you know when they're having the party and she comes over to the house her mom's missing and the house is destroyed like is her family is her mom still safe like all of a sudden now i'm just like what what are they okay like what happens is everything going to be fine now is this a reset to like quote i mean not quote, but to save everyone. And is that part of saving everyone was also saving Gretchen and her mom? Because how? <laughs> Since Donnie never interacted with her, her mom or just, it's just, hmm, overthinking. But it, but I love that it's just, like I said, really open like that. And another one was, uh, like his mom, like at that, at the end when her and Gretchen kind of see each other, you know, cause she almost seems to have that knowingness and, you know, really kind of throughout the movie, there's something about the mom that seems distant, but not, if that makes sense, like a little detached, but like not in an uncaring way, but she always seems to be just so... I don't know. I don't want to say like just there, like in a lot of scenes, she's, you know, snuggled up with her husband and, you know, like when they're at the PTA meeting and everything and it's, she just, I don't know, maybe just super chill, <laughs> except for the moment when she's talking to the, the therapist and she, you really get that sense that she loves her kids and she wants nothing else but to help them. And she doesn't know what else to do, but okay, I guess increase medication. Um, but like the dinner scenes, you know, she's just kind of sitting there drinking her wine and the way it's just something about her body language, I think, that seems like there's something else going on with the mom. Does she know something or do you have any like, have you ever had any theories about the mom? Because I don't know, for whatever reason, watching her really kind of stood out to me again in her body language, in in her tone um, and not that any of it was uncaring in any way, but there was just almost like, yeah, a bit of detachment from that reality. Interesting. Um, <laughs> no, no, I just, I think that's interesting because I've never thought about that. Um, I've never seen her as detached. That's, that's why that's interesting to me because I, I see the mom. I, I love the mom. I, mm -hmm. I have to say, I yeah. love the parents in this. Yes. His parents. I do, you know, other people. Know. Yeah. Um, but I love his parents. Yes. And I think it's a very 80s thing that, you know, he disappears and they're not like out like searching for him. It's a sure. very 80s thing. Like, I don't think that would necessarily always fly if this was set in present day. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but watching it, you're like, okay, it's 80s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
But I think with the mom, there are some key scenes that really tell you she loves her kids and she is a very, very good mom, I think. And Mm -hmm. I think she is struggling with the fact that she has a son that she is being told and she is kind of seeing through certain things, but being told that he has probably has a mental illness. And, um, and I stressed this in, in the one I did for my podcast and I'll stress it again in the eighties and nineties. Um, and I know from personal experience and from lots of friends that I have happened to, there was a big, huge thing about um, if any child has any kind of issues or problems, any teenager, any kind of issues, and every teenager has issues, okay? Being a teenager sucks. Mm-hmm. And if they do, it's like, let's medicate them. Um, Prozac became a big thing. Um, and let's also hospitalize them. That's why I'm shocked Donnie was not hospitalized. I know that he said he went to jail, but I'm shocked he wasn't, honestly. Um, let's medicate them. Let's put them in therapy. Let's do all this stuff because some parents didn't want to deal. They didn't mm-hmm. want to deal with their kids. Um, you know, the boomer generation was very hands off with their children. It really mm-hmm. was very much. We raised ourselves. So, um, and so this was part of, that was an aspect of it was the, um, every kid has a mental illness or every kid needs to be on drugs or medicated or locked up. And this happened to a lot of kids and really ruined a lot of lives and um, affected lives for decades upon decades to come. Um, And uh, I talk a lot in my podcast episode about my own personal stuff that has to do with that. And so I think that's one thing that I love about this movie so much because it's not talked about a lot that this happened. And to me, that's what this is showing. But instead of showing that the parents don't support Donnie or are doing this because they can't deal with Donnie. To me, it's the exact opposite, especially Mm -hmm. from the mom. Mm -hmm. And I think the key scenes for that are, well, the first one with when he ends up calling her a bitch, but then um, when she's sitting there in the therapist's office and she Mm -hmm. can barely get out the words and she's crying to me, that is not a mother. That's like, I don't know how to deal with my son. You just deal with him. That's a mother that is scared because she doesn't want to lose her son. Mm-hmm. And so she's listening to this therapist and she's seen things and her therapist, the therapist is telling her, has he told you about this giant rabbit that he talks to? And I mean, if you are a parent and you hear that your son is talking to a giant rabbit, you are going to be like, fuck. I mean, anyone's mm-hmm. going to be like that. Oh my God, my oh, son. Yeah. But instead of her being like, oh my God, my son's a freak. Get, get him away from me. She's more like, I want to help him. Mm-hmm. And then the scene with um, with Donnie and his mom where they're sitting on his bed mm-hmm. and he's like, how does it feel to have a freak for a son or to have it, you know, and her saying it feels wonderful. That to me, I'm going to cry, but that to mm-hmm. me is the most beautiful scene in the whole entire movie because Donnie, as much as he sometimes comes off as very confident and self-assured, I mean, the way that he talks back to Jim Cunningham in um, the presentation, the way that he talks back to Mrs. Farmer, all of that, there's still the scared little boy there mm-hmm. who feels like such an outsider, doesn't know how to do, you see it also when he first is interacting with Gretchen when the school's closed. And um, 
it's just such a beautiful scene because mm -hmm. she is saying to him, it's okay with me if you are, if you have a mental illness, it doesn't mean I'm going to love you less. And mm -hmm. it doesn't mean I am going to be upset and not want to be your mom. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm trying to, but um, no, you're, you're good. She's saying it makes, I, I feel, it feels wonderful. I love you. Not in spite of this, but because of this, because I, because I'm your mom and I love every part mm -hmm. of you. And I will say one of the scenes from the director's cut that I do wish had been in the theatrical cut. And I remember seeing it because they have the deleted scenes, which most of them are in the director's cut on the DVD. Uh, the scene with the father um, mm -hmm. when Donnie's like, you know, I'm crazy. And they have that whole scene outside. Mm -hmm. And he basically is saying, no, you're just a very, you're very smart. You're smarter than the rest of us. That to me is also a great scene because the father, I think, could have easily gone into a territory of we're men. We don't talk about emotions or feelings. And my son's a weirdo and my son's not like me as a man. And um, instead he didn't. Instead he embraced his son and said the same thing that his mom did in a different way, but the exact same thing. And so... Mm -hmm. It's interesting they say that about the mom because I think at the end when she's standing there and she is smoking and she's not crying like the dad is, she's not crying like the sisters are, She she's just kind of like shut down. I think it's just showing mm -hmm. a different way of grieving. I don't mm -hmm. think she necessarily knew any of this. Okay. I think she was very unaware, but I, but I think that's an interesting take and now next time I watch it, I might watch it to mm -hmm. see that. But I, but I, I frankly love love the parents i oh even yeah. though they are republicans <laughs> that's the one thing that i'm like why do you have to make them republicans but even though they are that i still love the parents so yeah and i want to i want to take back detached and be more and and replace it with observant she's more almost yeah. like not not necessarily an outsider but she's more just like a quiet observer of this is my family and i love them and I care about them, like the whole like fuck ass at the table and everything. She's just kind of like, we're not going to do this, you guys. <laughs> but and but yeah, I, I agree. I love the parents. I love that they are loving, caring parents. Um, and I love that scene with Donnie and the mom um, in the bedroom where he's like, yeah, how do you feel about having a freak for a son? And I love the thing that I love the most about that moment was that she doesn't correct him and say oh honey you're not a freak yeah she says it feels great i love you for you all of you no matter because i feel like a lot of times as you know parents and adults in an attempt to try and soothe and make people feel better we try to say like oh that's not true you're not this you're not that but sometimes and which can absolutely be 100 percent true but i think a lot of times it just needs to be said that just i love you for you you know, you have your thoughts about yourself and how you perceive yourself, but I don't share those thoughts because I accept you for you. And I don't see it as like a, like a negative thing that, you know, my son is a wacko or whatever. And then the scene with the dad, I agree. I, I think that one could have been kept in the theatrical because it's such a, we don't see a lot of moments with Donnie and his dad, but we see that the dad is present and he's caring you know he's kind of fun he's got a great sense of humor he laughs in the principal's office when they're like he told her to shove the book up her butt <laughs> when, when beth grant's like he told me to shove the book up my anus 
I'd have laughed too. <laughs> so I, I really, really appreciated the scene with Donnie and his dad. And again, like, and like you had pointed out kind of that, you know, not, not the toxic masculinity of, we don't talk about our feelings, but again, just being supportive and being like, you know what? Fuck everybody else. They don't get you. We get you. We love you. It's all good. And I just, I think the parents are so great. And right away from meeting like the dad in the beginning in either versions, you know, and uh, Maggie's characters coming up to like take the car, he just turns around and <laughs> hits her in the face with the, with the leaf blower in just such a playful kind of just such a dad way. Right. And it, I just, I loved that because in that brief little moment, no words or anything, you get that he's, he's fun. He's got a sense of humor. He's funny. And he cares because he could have just have been easily have been like, all right, you know, barely acknowledged her and let her go on her way. But I think especially for families of the 80s and depicted through the 80s that that's it's nice to see that. And yeah, and now I love the parents. I think they were they were just they were great. More more movie parents like that. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so what else i mean so much more right like okay i'm trying to think all right um because i didn't write a whole lot <laughs> down because i was like oh remember it all right uh what else have you got <laughs> <laughs> um what what i think is interesting uh going to the director's cut i think it's interesting having um so much about um the book and the film watership down which mm -hmm. Um, which actually it's funny because Watership Down is, I'm not a cartoon person, but Watership Down is one of my absolute favorite movies. I think it's the reason because yes, the bunnies are the heroes, but there are, um, if people don't know about this. I'm scared of bunnies. And so here's a movie where there's a giant rabbit, but then in Watership Down, there are the bad bunnies and they're really bad. And I think watching that movie, which that is not a kid's movie, frankly, uh, watching that movie as a little kid and the bad bunnies and then there's also a lot of other stuff that goes on there um it it's um i think that helped instill some of that fear that I have of yeah. also having one bite me when i was really little but anyway yeah. uh but but i thought that was interesting because at first it kind of bugged me because i was like in the director's cut because i was like okay that's really on the nose here's a story mm -hmm. about rabbits and he's written a story which was also cut from the uh, theatrical version but he's written a story for his english class that has that has a rabbit named frank in it mm -hmm. um but then watching it now i do have to say even though i'm fine with it not being the theatrical cut i really do appreciate the scene and the director's cut where they are watching the movie and you're watching these rabbits who are very emotional. They don't want to die. You know, that, that whole Watership Down is very much about environmentalism. You know, this is how long we've been supposed to be dealing with these people. Mm -hmm. um, and about these bunnies getting their, the land is going to be destroyed. Their habitat's going to be destroyed. And that's what that movie and book is about. And so Donnie reacting to the fact that he's like, well, bunnies don't feel anything. They don't feel anything. We as humans do. And then Gretchen one of the first times you really see Gretchen kind of like push back against Donnie in a very real way, mm -hmm. because I think there was a lot more going on in that conversation. Um, mm -hmm. Especially when you keep bringing up the sex part and looking at her, I'm like, Oh God, mm -hmm. oh boy. 
Um, <laughs> and so I appreciated that because I think what that scene was also going to was Donnie's struggle with um, number one, the fact that he's dealing with this giant rabbit that he's seeing everywhere. And so he's like, why does this giant rabbit have to be like <laughs> following me everywhere? Why can't you be more human? I want to see it. I can't relate to that. You're an, you're an animal. You're in that costume. Mm -hmm. He finally has him take off the costume. And um, also I think it's just an interesting thing about talking about um, why don't we actually talk about the real human emotions instead of using like a scapegoat for that or using a substitute for that with the rabbits. And I think he's also at that point in the movie feeling very overwhelmed by everything that's going on with him. Mm -hmm. And he's almost at a breakdown point. And so he's getting angry that they are talking about feelings without not actually talking about them. Instead, they're using rabbits, if that makes any sense. Yes. What I just yep. said. But so I appreciated that actually this time watching it. I'm not saying I necessarily needed that in the theatrical cut, but I think it is a nice addition mm -hmm. when it comes to the emotional part of this movie. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I liked it too because, you know, he asks like, why should we give a shit about the bunnies? And then uh, the teacher, Drew Barrymore, Miss Pomeroy, um, she's like, what she say? Something like, well, the bunnies are us and you know kind of like why wouldn't you care about like everybody else and and in a way i kind of looked at that as as he's going through this journey of um eventually saving everybody like you said he's kind of overwhelmed and he's really kind of struggling and i think in that moment he's asking like why should i give a shit about these people around me and want to save these people they all think i'm a weirdo wacko whatever and so I liked, so in, in that like kind of brief little exchange in that scene, that was kind of my takeaway from it was that he's asking more like for himself, like, why, why do I have to care about these bunnies or, you know, all these other people and, and stuff like that. And so when she's like, you know, when she's like, is the destruction of one species less important than the other? Cause what does he say? He says, yes, I think. Yeah, it, pretty much. Think, like, yeah, it's pretty much like why the bunnies don't matter as much as we do. <laughs> yeah. And so I. So, yeah, so I liked that where he was just kind of like phrasing it like that and really coming from his own personal struggles uh, of where he was in the in the movie. But it wasn't necessarily it wasn't a bad scene. I don't think it really it didn't take anything away. I think it helped add a little bit, but not entirely necessary. But. I just I thought that was really interesting when he's like, why should we give a shit about all these other bunnies? I really felt like he was asking, why should I give a shit about all these people? So very Donnie of him. <laughs> yeah, because I think, you know, the thing with Donnie is he, you know, he got held back in school. Um, he's had, you know, like, <laughs> I still I still kind of love when he's working with Gretchen and just talking about her stepfather having emotional issues. And oh my God. Oh, I have some of those too. What does he have? And I think until he realizes what those emotional issues are, I think mm -hmm. for Donnie, Donnie so desperately wants to belong in a lot of respects and wants to not be like the weirdo. Mm -hmm. And um, you see that a lot. I, I really love the therapy scenes in this movie, I want to say, mm -hmm. because therapy 
like is done so wrong in so many movies. And I appreciated the therapy scenes because I really felt like the therapist actually gave a shit. And I want to mm-hmm. say a lot of therapists <laughs> back then did not give a shit. Okay. They mm-hmm. were all about money. And once your insurance coverage ran out, you were cured magically or, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I'm not saying there aren't great therapists and I'm not, but you know, back then there were a lot, I've had a lot of bad experiences with therapists and I really appreciated her because she seemed to genuinely care. And, um, I think a lot of the scenes with his therapist, you see him still trying to do that, like fake teen, I'm cooler than everybody. And since I'm so Mm -hmm. weird and outcast, I'm going to embrace it. And I have no issues with that. But you see that break down a little bit, especially um, in the therapy scene when he's talking about how Roberta, Roberta Sparrow told him that every mm-hmm. living creature dies alone. And when he's talking about his dog and how his dog went off to be alone, he's like, no, she went off to die alone. And now he said, I don't want to die. I don't want to die, basically. And I don't want to mm-hmm. die alone. And, and I love that scene so much because he's so vulnerable in that mm-hmm. moment. And it's one of mm-hmm. the few scenes in the movie or unless he's with Frank where he is completely vulnerable. Cause with Frank, there are some moments where you see him scared or stuff like that. Um, but he's so completely vulnerable there. And you see him saying, I don't want to succumb to whatever's going on with me in my mm-hmm. head. I don't want to succumb to that. And I also, I think he's also saying, I want to live. I want to be happy. I don't want to be plagued with all this doubt and all being overwhelmed. And I also think it's a very real teenager moment, too, where because being a teenager is so flipping hard Mm -hmm. and you're struggling so much with you're starting to come to that point where soon you're going to be an adult and you're and you're struggling with you know high school and your peers and all these different hormones and emotions and i think that was also part of it and i just think it's just a beautiful scene of watching a character that seemed to with all of his struggles still be confident and okay and he's fine speaking up and you see a little bit of that wall breakdown Mm -hmm. and i really Mm -hmm. love that scene because you see that he's like I really am not okay. I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. And I want to be okay, but I'm not okay. And I just think it's a beautiful scene. And I, and I love the therapist throughout. I think she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I'm glad you brought up that scene. It's funny because as you started talking, I was like, I bet, and I, I bet I know what she's talking I bet I know what scene she's going to mention. <laughs> I exact same thoughts. It was such a great moment to see Donnie just be vulnerable and to really kind of see some of these like I don't know walls come down or whatever but you see Donnie for Donnie as a troubled teenager you know with fears normal fears right like on top of the other mental illness and stuff that he's dealing with like these are very real everybody fears right like being alone or or your mortality and everything so I love that we actually, yes, I agree. I think this is like a real, like we get a small glimpse into really Donnie and some of those insecurities and those fears because, 
you kind of get it throughout but i think seeing it and seeing this moment of breaking down like that and you just and jake like such a great actor just you, you see it in his face and you believe it you believe like oh my god this poor sweet baby angel just he just doesn't want to be alone <laughs> <laughs> and you just want to be like it's okay so i absolutely loved that scene as well so i i really it's this movie is so emotional right like it's it really kind of gets you and there's different points and different characters and different moments and everyone's gonna have different takeaways some will take more from this moment than that and i think that's what make this what makes this movie so like transcendent transcendent of like generations like anybody any time of any generation no matter where we are in our lives i think can watch this and take something from it and maybe even feel like they've been seen a little bit so that's what's that i that's what i one of the things i absolutely love about this movie is just kind of how open it is for everyone how anyone can watch it and aside from being confused with the time travely stuff <laughs> can see some of these characters and and relate you know between the parents the therapist donnie um gretchen Maybe even like Donnie's sister, you know, because she's got she's taken her year off, but she's going to be accepted into Harvard. And so it's kind of like we don't get a lot of his sister throughout the movie, Maggie, but there's like the one scene where she's on the phone with her friend and she's in Donnie's room and she's like, yeah, he told Miss Farmer to shove a book up her ass. And now my parent and our parents bought him all this shit. And so it's like there's a little bit of like that sibling resentment. But I think also there was a moment of pride from a big sister of being like, yeah, my little brother, like, why else would you tell your friend that your little brother told the weirdo gym teacher to shove a book up your ass? There's got to be a moment of like, that's my bro. <laughs> so I kind of so I liked that because I again, tiny little moment, but I felt like that is a, uh, a an older sibling kind of thing where you you're you're complimenting and you're proud of your of your younger sibling but you can't just come right out and say it you kind of got to be a dick about it and she was kind of a dick about it but i also loved it because that's such a very real dynamic with siblings and of course you know they're real siblings yeah. so maybe it just came through that much more in that moment I, I don't know but i that's what i it's this movie's so great and i think it's everyone can take a little something away from the different people, maybe except for Jim Cunningham. Let's not, he's excluded <laughs> yeah. from that. Please. <laughs> My God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also the bullies, the two bullies, you know, one, oh, they yeah. Seth yeah. Rogen, but they're, they're Seth Rogen. <laughs> I like your boobs. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I oh, mean, shit. I I know um, in the in one of the commentaries that uh, Matt I believe it was when Maggie Gyllenhaal was on for this one um, I believe she said for the end scene when she's when Donnie's dead and she was like told Jake she's like you cannot be on set when I'm doing this scene because this is going to be too hard for me anyway mm -hmm. and so I thought that was interesting because I'm sure they brought a lot of their real sibling dynamic into this mm -hmm. movie and um yeah which I think is very interesting to 
to see. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they haven't yeah. done too many movies. I'm trying to think like how many movies they've done like actually together together. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So. Ooh. But but yeah, I think I think you're right. I think they brought a lot of that natural sibling rivalry relationship in because you kind of felt it during that dinner scene too when they're yes. just kind of going back and forth and he's like <laughs> oh, are you still going to be working at the yarn barn like <laughs> <laughs> just a random shitty little brother thing to say yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh i love it those two are great i love the yen hall kids so <laughs> <laughs> grandma death roberta sparrow what do you, my big question right now regarding that character is at the end and Donnie saves everyone and we're in this mad world or whatever, does she continue to check the mailbox? What was the thing that happened to her that made her kind of flip and like write this book and then become, quote, become grandma death or whatever? What was her experience? What are your theories about Roberta Sparrow, AKA grandma death? Um. I think I think a lot of the reason why she became like who she was, who we saw in the present day, um, I think a lot of that was because she, uh, in a way, was like I think she's supposed to also be kind of like a mirror for Donnie in some weird way, where she had very out of the box thinking. I mean, she started out as a nun and then she became a science teacher at the school that Donnie goes to. And she was respected, I think, at first. And I think what ended up happening is she probably was so into this time travel stuff that people were like, you are wacko. And I think that's kind of what happened with her. That's my theory is Mm -hmm. I think people started treating her like she was nothing and like she was just some that weird creepy lady and so she kind of just went okay they're gonna treat you like this whatever I'll just play into it and I'll be there in and I'll just fall into this role that people have given me and so I think with the checking the mail there are a couple of ways you could look at that like she's checking the mail waiting for the letter to come from Donnie since he does write her um and also, I think maybe she's also hoping that maybe she can still have a connection with human beings. I think she still wants to have a connection, but she doesn't know how. And she's been so by herself for so many years that she's forgotten how to connect with human beings. And Donnie is the first one that she's really connecting to. And I think she knows like everything. I think she's probably the most the smartest person in the whole movie and probably the most aware person in the whole movie. And she's just trying to get Donnie to get to her level of awareness. Now, whether Mm -hmm. or not she continues to check her mailbox is an interesting question that quite honestly, and I can't believe I haven't, I never have really completely thought about too much. Um, I, my first instinct is to say no, because they did the whole thing they did the time travel thing so she doesn't have a reason to but mm-hmm. then my other instinct is to say yes because maybe she's hoping in some other timeline donnie is still alive mm-hmm. and maybe things were saved a little bit differently because i think she probably believes there are several different timelines all going on at the same time mm-hmm. and so that would be another another theory but i do think she is the most self-aware um 
person in the in the whole movie. She's the one who really is kind of light years ahead of everybody else kind of mm-hmm. thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought it was really interesting cuz you know, we find out through uh one of Donnie's teacher played by Noah Wiley um that, you know, who gives Donnie Roberta's book, you know, she was a nun and then she left that to become a teacher and to write this book and and all of that. So I couldn't help but wonder like, okay, did she maybe have her own kind of like Donnie Darko moment sometime during her nunning and maybe and maybe kind of a very similar thing like and then she was able to like reset the 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 timeline or whatever. So she resets it and quits nunning and becomes a teacher to write this book. Um, maybe who knows how far she went. Maybe she does see everything that Donnie does eventually experience. So she knows that she's writing this book for Donnie, but it's like, what, what could have happened to this person to cause such a big swing? I think, um, from nunning to science teaching. (laughs) I just love that you keep saying nunning, nunning. So, because I agree, I think she knows so much more than we're ever let on to really know for sure, because she's just kind of painted as like the old crazy lady at the top of the hill. But I don't know. I really feel like there, she had her own Donnie, Donnie Darko portal timeline moment. And that's why she wrote this book. And that's why it explains everything for Donnie and why he's like, I know how to travel in time and go back and, and save everyone. Um, you know, and he writes her that letter, like, I still have so many questions. So I just, I don't know why I never thought about it before, but I'm like, I think Grandma Death stopped checking her mailbox because I think she was fully aware of everything, knew about and just and knew and just saw it all coming. So now that everything's been reset, I think she also retained that memory, whether or not she can like comprehend or um, convey it or not. But I think she doesn't check the mailbox anymore because everything has been reset to how it should have been. So that's my theory on Grandma Death. Oh yeah, no, I I agree. I I think you know I think the times when she goes and walks out in the middle of the road, the first time when she does it when. Um, Donnie's mm-hmm. dad is driving him and he almost hits her. I think she does that on purpose. I don't think she's doing it like she's not aware there's a car. She does that because mm-hmm. that then leads to her first interaction with Donnie. And then mm-hmm. in the end, when she walks out there and the car swerves and then ends up running over Gretchen, she does that on purpose. And I because mm-hmm. I think she wants to just kind of have Donnie have that last moment where he actually goes and does the time travel thing. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why she does that. I don't think she's ever not aware. And I think it'd be very easy for people to kind of dismiss her. And I think also that might be another reason why she lives the way she does, because she doesn't want everybody to be aware of what she's doing and she doesn't Mm -hmm. want the scrutiny. Instead, it's a lot easier for her to hide away and live under that umbrella of the crazy old lady. Mm -hmm. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a lot of what, what, what she, what she does. And I think Donnie is the first person that kind of, sees beyond that and see and she kind of connects with and she realizes he's as open to this stuff as she was because probably maybe she had her faith questioned and so she started researching and that's when 
she went mm-hmm. down this different this different path. But yeah, a rabbit hole. Can <laughs> <laughs> help myself. Yeah, no, I thought it was kind of interesting, and yeah, Grandma Death, crazy old air quote crazy old lady at the top of the hill. Where is she? All right. So what are your thoughts on Frank, both the vision that the, you know, these daytime hallucinations or whatever, um, you know, he keeps seeing Frank, then we meet Frank, like an actual Frank at the end of the movie, who is still, you know, the, I don't know, alternate universe Frank. So, um, cause at one point, someone asks Donnie, like, well, why do you, maybe a therapist, like, well, why do you listen to Frank? And he's like, well, he saved my life. Because at the beginning of the movie, Frank is the one that wakes up Donnie and sends him out into the, the wherever when the jet engine falls into his room. So the whole thing with like this mirror universe or pocket universe or alternate timeline or whatever fucking Doctor Hooey Wooey <laughs> shit they're doing here. I'm like rubbing my head. I know. I'm just like, I oh my God. You're, you're just like, what? So. All right. So alternate universe frank okay wakes up donnie to save his life why so he can live these next 28 days to come to this realization that he wasn't supposed to live (laughs) what what do you think frank's reason was for saving his life is it as simple as saving donnie's life as he thinks it is um a, a greater purpose or or what do you think it is well saving donnie's life also means he's saving his own life um, because Donnie shoots him in the, shoots him basically. I mean, he kills him. He really does. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I really think he kills him. And yeah. so he's also saving his own life. He's also saving his own life in the fact that he doesn't end up running over Gretchen because he's the one who runs over Gretchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's his underlying motivation is not necessarily like, you know, let's, Donnie die because I think with him honking at the end, I think he's kind of like, we we did it. We're back. You know, Mm -hmm. if you take that as um, that's actually what that's supposed to mean is he's supposed to be signaling Donnie. It's okay. Get out. We're fine. We both have survived. So I think there's that part where it first starts with, he doesn't want to be dead. So he realizes there's a way to save himself. Um, And then if he survives, and Gretchen still dies, his life is still going to be kind of probably over. And so Gretchen to live and he doesn't want to kill anybody. You see him in the very end when he's sitting there with all those drawings, mm-hmm. which what an amazing artist. I just want to say this yeah. person is. Yeah. Holy moly. Whoever, I mean, and the costuming in this movie, shout out. I mean, the, the design of the bunny costume, especially the, the mask is so mm-hmm. stupendous. So shout out to them. Um, and the art department just in general in this movie. But you're watching that he's crying and he's touching mm-hmm. the eye where he got shot. And so mm-hmm. I think for him, um, you know, he was just a stupid teenager up until that moment of, you know, he's dating Donnie's sister and he's just living in this world of he's the cool guy on campus kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then this happens to him. And I think when he gets shot and when he runs over Gretchen, it's like this thing in him changes. And I think he went back to save everybody involved in there so that they could still have a life. And 
they wouldn't have this event that is going to destroy everything, destroy. Mm -hmm. And when, and also that, that's the other thing. And I'm not saying it's not a huge deal that Gretchen dies. Okay. Or that he dies. But when you are a teenager, any event is like magnified tenfold. Mm -hmm. And this event, while it is, I'm not saying this isn't a tragedy at all, but this event is life altering and ending for everybody around there in their mind, no matter what, no matter if mm -hmm. Gretchen survived, no matter anything like that. Um, and so I think for him, it's just at a very basic level that his motivation is to make sure their lives don't alter and get changed. And I'm sure part of that, I would think with Roberto Sparrow, that she's like, this would be the person that I'll use as a catalyst. And having mm -hmm. him be in an outfit like that, in a costume like that. And I think this is also like a different version of this person, of Frank. I think this mm -hmm. is more like his elevated person personality and like his soul, maybe. Maybe it's a part of him that is without that ego of the teenage boy thing. And mm -hmm. he is just like the catalyst and his guide. He's like Donnie's guide. But he can't mm -hmm. be forthcoming with him. He can't say, look, the reason my eye looks like this is because you shot me. Sure. He can't right. <laughs> He can't say that because he knows that'll probably just freak Donnie out and mm -hmm. won't do what he really came there to do. So I think for him, he's a very – when you see him take his – when they're watching Evil Dead in the theater and you see him take off his mask and you see him take off the top of his, his costume – He's so sad. I mean, he is like mm -hmm. heartbroken because he doesn't want what happened to actually happen. And I think when it first happened, he had no connection to Donnie whatsoever. And he was went to that whole thing. Why are you even in the road? Why did you do this? It's your fault mm -hmm. that any of this happened. And honestly, he's really, <laughs> honestly, he's really not at fault for her. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Right. Um, and I, and, part of the reason it also happened was because Roberto Sparrow wanted them to go back in time. So it's like, I think he, he died and then a part of him is almost coming back from that. It's almost like you could even call him a ghost. You could even call him a spirit. You could even call him something like that, where it's like his soul is manifesting as this vision for, and this guide for Donnie to be like, if I don't do it in this extreme way where I'm always in this costume, um, or also a lot of people believe when you die and if you come back as a ghost, you're going to be dressed in whatever you were wearing when you died. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason he's like that. Um, but I, I just view him as somebody who he's kind of like the go between, between Roberta Sparrow and Donnie. And he's like okay. the catalyst and he's what can guide Donnie and Donnie will listen mm -hmm. to him. If Roberta Sparrow was to be like, Donnie, you need to go back. He would have been like, bitch, who the hell are you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think, I mean, and even though he becomes enthralled with her and interested in her, I don't think it would have had the same effect. And so you had to have this person who represents and presents himself as really powerful, strong, um, otherworldly, um, almost like a horror character um, in some respects, you could even say in the beginning, like a villain, mm -hmm. but when in the theater scene, you see he's what he is, is he's just 
a boy. He's just mm-hmm. a young teenager, just like Donnie. And I think he's someone who, just as much as Donnie, his life was completely altered by this one night, but in very different ways. And so he is using this opportunity to save himself and to save Gretchen. But I, but I think ultimately, I think a big reason he did it was to save himself. And, but you do see him falling apart in the end and crying. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is grieving. Just a second. Someone's making some really loud noises outside. I don't know if you can hear that. I don't think it's coming through. Okay. I, I do think the cat is just outside the door right now. Like, why am I not allowed in here? Okay. Well, hopefully it's not. But um, so I apologize to your listeners if they hear anything weird. Um, but anyway, but I think that that's a lot of what is going on with him is he's just at this very simple level trying to save himself and save Mm -hmm. both of them. And I think in the end, when he realizes, I think when he's crying, he realizes it didn't, he didn't say Donnie and Donnie died. And he's also crying for the fact that, Oh my gosh, I survived. I made it through this. Um, It's not going to happen. Like, cause he's aware. So he's like that. Mm -hmm. He's not going to let that happen. And I just think he's a very interesting character and um i love that he's not completely fleshed out and you don't really get to know who he is you just know mm-hmm. this ethereal like this otherworldly being and then you know the real one who's just kind of like you don't really know him and i like that about frank because i think mm-hmm. he that's how he serves his purpose so yeah 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 with frank i don't <sighs> I never really gave like a whole heck of a lot of thought about the character and you know the the real frank that we see at the end driving driving the trans am and the frank visions that that donnie has but in watching the director's cut because i don't think it's in the theatrical i don't remember but at the end after gretchen has died and donnie uh goes and gets the family vehicle and he drives her up to the overlook or whatever and he's sitting on top of the on top of the car you hear frank's voice kind of one last time say i'm going home i'm i'm going home now or something so that's why all of a sudden i'm like wait a minute so is frank in this bunny suit for lack of a better phrase his animal guide through this in an attempt to maybe just save for frank to just save his own life and then when he wakes up after donnie has reset everything realizes that in trying to save his own life, all these other things had to happen. And now he was just like, kind of like, oh, damn, that was, there was more going on. So I just, I liked, and what was the actor's name? Cause I remember he kind of had a moment in the nineties, late, mid, late nineties ish. He was in a couple of things, um, but I liked him. And I agree. I liked that we don't get a lot about Frank either you know, Vision Frank or Frank Frank. And just kind of adds that much more mystery to it into him and the importance and the significance of him to Donnie. Was it just something random? Why Frank out of well, yeah, because Frank dies, but uh but yeah, it's just I guess yeah, like I said, I never really thought too much about Frank. Cause again, always caught up with the whole like time travel portal alternate universe whatever's but this time when he's like i'm going home i'm like 
Wait, what? <laughs> see, I think I thought that was Donnie who said that and not Frank. That's what I in the director's oh, cut because that's not really in okay. the theatrical cut. That line is no. not, which I'm don't like that line being in there. Period. I don't not like that. <laughs> I like the ending in the theater theater theatrical version a heck of a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So well, maybe, maybe it I was just Donnie because I thought it was Donnie. But the, so it's interesting thinking of it being Frank, but and it's James Duval is the actor. James Duval, yeah, yeah. He's a cutie patootie. But the, I think the it's actor, interesting. Not I don't, I don't, yeah. No, I know what you're saying. <laughs> you're not, I love Frank. The rabbit is. <laughs> the rabbit is adorable. Oh goodness, yeah. And I, I mean, in watching both versions in the last couple of days, and again, like we said at the beginning picking up on things that no matter how many times you've seen this movie there's almost like something new to be like wait a minute and it does kind of change maybe theories or thought you know just just changes things just a little just alters it's like it goes back and it's like hey you remember how you remembered it this way well you are wrong (laughs) it was this way or it could be this way i don't know i love it so um did you want to talk a bit about like the Donnie's mental illness then? Because I don't think we've touched a whole hell of a lot on that, truly. Like, and I mean, it's we brought it up because he sees a therapist and it's medicated, <laughs> but we find out that he's taking placebos, mm-hmm. which was interesting like, yeah, to me. Better. I thought that was interesting. Um, I I think my my theory on this whole movie, and yes, I do think there's the time travel does happen. I do I do think that happens, but I do think. The main thing this movie is dealing with is I do think Donnie does have a, a mental illness. I do think he's dealing with that. I do think that's part of what this movie is about. And I and I like I said, I think any interpretation of this movie is accurate and correct. So if you don't think that's true, that's totally fine. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is I think I think what. And yes, you could say like him seeing the rabbit. Well, that's too, yes, of course. So he's going to hallucinate and, you know, does he have schizophrenia? Does he have, you know, um, I think the reason I say that is um, he presents as someone who is dealing with severe depression. And that's why I say he wears this kind of like bravado thing that I think he is dealing with severe depression that, um, I mean, here you have someone who, in your teenage years, if you're being held back a grade in school, um, Mm -hmm. he's also talked about how he set a place on fire. We never delve Mm -hmm. into that. Um, Mm -hmm. This is not like all of a sudden Donnie sees a rabbit and now people are like, are you mentally ill? No, he's been dealing with stuff before the movie started. So this isn't like mm-hmm. a new thing. He was seeing a therapist before the movie started. And I think this movie for me is showing somebody who has a mental illness or is struggling with depression and severe depression. And you could even make the argument um, that he has schizophrenia. You could make the argument that even sometimes you can make the argument that he's bipolar or dealing with that kind of stuff. I think my thoughts on what illness he has has changed a lot, like gone back and forth, but I think a lot of it is just severe depression. And I do think there's a part of him 
that I wouldn't be surprised if at one point he had some kind of suicidal ideation or something like that going on. I don't think he's necessarily at that point in the movie because I do think a lot of his lying to his therapist of not wanting to die doesn't necessarily mean he's not suicidal. I want to say that, but Mm -hmm. I think that's also him kind of coming out of maybe that suicidal ideation phase. But for me, this movie is very much um, like it's okay if you are depressed, if you are struggling with an illness. It's just as serious. It's just as real. And it's just as it should be um, treated with as much respect and care as we do any other physical illness. And Mm -hmm. I appreciated that where it wasn't like Donnie is so mentally ill that he shouldn't be around people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more Donnie is struggling a lot with severe depression, probably some anxiety. Um, Yes, he's having hallucinations. You get the feeling he might have had these hallucinations before of other things because he says little lines like, I made a new friend today. And when she says Mm -hmm. real or imaginary, that to me Mm -hmm. indicates that this has happened before. This is not a new thing for Donnie. So I do think there is that aspect to it where I do think he has an illness. But I also appreciate that this illness doesn't make him less than. It actually Mm -hmm. almost makes him more than in a way. Um, and I'm not saying like it's glamorizing having an illness. It's just kind of saying right. he's in touch with something different and we're not going to penalize him for having an illness. Instead, we're going to say because of that, he maybe is more aware of different things going on. And so he would be a better vessel and a better, better catalyst for any kind of time travel thing because he'd be more open to it because of the stuff he has seen already or been through in his young life. And he's still really young. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. um, so for me, it's very much like a, um, how do I put this? Like a, um, love letter is really the wrong word, but like a letter of appreciation or sympathy or empathy for people who are struggling with an illness. And mm-hmm. I mean, the director and writer has said, he said, a lot of people ask me, Am I, you must be Donnie Darko. And he's like, no, I'm the kid at the very end who waves. That's me. So he's like, I'm not Donnie Darko at all. So it wasn't written Mm -hmm. as a thing where he's like, this is about me and my struggles. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's a lot of what this is, is it's like, instead of depicting a character going through this and having it be at the end, uh, which I'm not saying don't take medication because I think medication can save your life. But instead of having it be just a pill is going to change everything and this wasn't real and he's not really going back in time. Instead being like, yes, he has an illness, but that doesn't mean that other fantastical things and sci-fi and stuff like that elements can't actually be real and really happen mm-hmm. to him. It, mm-hmm. you know, both can be true. And that's what I appreciated. I also appreciated the fact that, like I said, people don't talk about the fact I don't think very much that in the 80s and 90s, it was a fad. It honestly was. And a lot of places made a shit ton of money, made so much fucking Mm -hmm. money off of teenagers. It was gross Mm -hmm. and disgusting and it ruined a lot of lives. 
and mm-hmm. um, that's what was happening a lot. And you don't see that talked about. And while this is a very, very, very thin, thin talk about that, because that's the movie's not really about that. But the fact that they concluded it where it was this thing where he's seeing a therapist and to have a male character, number one, be seeing a therapist. It's very rare in film and television. Mm-hmm. But it was such a thing back then. Men, and especially if you were odd and different in any kind of way, you didn't fit into the normal clique. So I appreciate also that it's talking about that and pointing out that fact and pointing out that mm-hmm. um, maybe he didn't need medication. Maybe he was okay without the medication. Maybe he did. We don't know. Um, but having a therapist not just be about the medication was a nice thing to see mm-hmm. when it's taking place in that time because a lot of it was also about medication and drugs. And um, anyway, I feel like that was just a bunch of rambling. So I apologize if it was a bunch of rambling. It's just sometimes it's hard for me to put into words that part of this movie for me personally um because i see myself a lot in this character in a lot of respects and it's mainly in the illness part um and my own personal struggles with that and the fact that that started at a very young age for me um and not to keep plugging my episode but i go really into detail about what happened to me in that episode <laughs> so um but that's and that's a big reason why i wanted people to watch this movie when i first found this movie is i was like i have a very hard time telling people exactly what it is that i struggle with or go through or what my feelings are or what it was like for me when i went through what i went through in the very early 90s um with this kind of stuff and um and the trauma that i have from that and so when I watch this movie and I'm like, oh, my God, this is like so accurate to what it's like when you are severely depressed sometimes. Because I think people really think when you're severely depressed or you're suicidal or you're going through something like that, you're going to be just like all the time crying in your, you know, you're all. And I'm not saying this is, that doesn't happen because that is a part of it or you're mm-hmm. not going to get out of bed. But a lot of times you can present as perfectly fine. You can laugh. You can have a lot of confidence and all of that. But behind the scenes, um, and you see that with the therapy sessions and some of the frank interactions, behind the scenes is someone who's very scared and scared that they might succumb to their illness, that they're, that they, you know, it's an illness that you're battling. You're battling your brain and your brain chemistry. And there's a part of you when you have certain illnesses there's a part of your brain that literally wants to kill you, wants you to die. And so when you're struggling with that and you have that and you're trying to keep up this facade that you're okay, everything's okay, I can laugh, I can be productive and I can do all this stuff and I'm better than all these people. But inside you're just like, I don't want to die. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to die alone. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what I think Donnie is also struggling with in this movie. And so here he is making this new friend who no one's going to completely understand this, but he's still being open about it to an extent. But here's this person who kind of is meeting me at this level that maybe other people haven't met me at. And um, feels welcoming, but also scary at the same time. So he's like, what if I can't rely on this? And what if this is my brain playing with me again and manipulating Mm -hmm. me? And 
what can I trust to be fact and what can I trust not to be? And, you know, he comes off as very confident, self-assured, but when he's having that first interaction with Gretchen and he's like, just like rambling, blah, 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 really nervous. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you want to go with me? And that kind of whole thing where it's like, Mm -hmm. oh God, wait, wait, how how do I do these normal, quote unquote, normal human interactions? Mm -hmm. And so it also, I think, is emphasizing that, that there is that struggle when you have that of, are people just going to see the illness? Or are they going to see me? How do I relate to people in the same realm if I'm dealing with this stuff? Is everybody going to leave me if they know this? How do I survive? Mm-hmm. How do I combat this to where I don't die? So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, and like I said, that's a lot of the reason I showed this movie to people when I first saw it was I was, and I didn't outright say this, but I was thinking, here, if you want to know what I struggle with, here, just watch this. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. I hope that all made sense. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's really interesting. So that last bit about his interactions with Gretchen at first, you know, and how that's kind of plays with the the mental illness. I always took it as like, here is a brief moment where Donnie is just a normal, awkward teen. Oh, yeah, that's You know, you know whatever with the mental illness, whatever with the Frank, but in this moment, he just is awkward and he's like, oh, where are you going? I'm going home. And then he's just kind of like, oh, you're such an idiot. Where are you going? (laughs) You know, kind of criticizing himself, having that like, you know, face palm moment of like, God, just immediately replaying everything back and like, why did I do this? And so for me, that was, and everything you said makes perfect sense. But it's that was never like my interpretation of it, but I can absolutely see that because, yeah, it's like here's the kid that has a mountain of struggles, whatever, you know, they may or may not be. But here's a moment where he is just, quote, a normal, awkward teenager. Do you want to go with me? You've got, you've just met her. <laughs> Teenagers. Oh, they're adorable. <laughs> they're so silly. <laughs> Oh, that's what we call it here. You know, go with me. I'm just like, oh my God, (laughs) this is the cringiest moment of the movie. (laughs) But I love, I love your take on it because it, it just kind of opens that up. Cause I don't think, cause since it's not such a big main focus, the mental illness, I mean, it's obviously there. He's seen the therapist, the medications and yada, yada. But I, I, I think that it's just, your take on it is just so interesting you know you have that uh, different perspective and i appreciate it because like i said that's never how i took that scene it's like yes he is he he's struggling but we never really know for certain i think there's times too where it's like is it did is it you know with just seeing this person and and the sleepwalking but i don't think there's ever mention of like really loss of time but the way he his demeanor, the way Donnie's body language and voice changes when he interacts with Frank and when Frank tells him to do things, again, it's a different posture, body language, and somehow like superhuman strength if he's able to like put an ax in a big brass mm-hmm. statue. <laughs> so there's parts where I'm like, D.I.D. and other parts where it's like, no, I don't think so. But yeah, I just, I, I never really looked... I guess like too deep because yeah it wasn't the number one thing in the movie it was just part of the story to help it's a plot device help move the story along so 
you're you're cracking up for me like you're doing you're crackly your audio is very crackly so my ethernet is kind okay now you sound fine oh okay (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it was frank i don't know either so it's frank (laughs) yep all right so all right so i had my uh beth grant gush oh and then drew barrymore her production company helped fund the movie and I liked her character. I liked the teacher. I think a lot of times we all kind of wish teacher more teachers like this existed within school systems, even though this is a private school where the movie takes place in any school system. Someone that challenges you, someone that isn't afraid to bring up, you know, more quote controversial topics or whatnot. And uh, so I love that. Noah Wiley has a very small role in it, but I remember him from ER and having like the biggest crush. So I always get a kick out of seeing him in this movie. I'm just like, yeah, you know, I remember how him. So, but um, I saw him riding a bicycle know, on the Warner Brothers lot years ago when we were filming ER though when I was there. Oh, <laughs> I don't know why I love that, that so much. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. I love it. So. Um, yeah, I don't really have a whole heck of a lot to add to those two characters, but you know, they're great supportive characters, you know, for Donnie and everything. So anything noteworthy you have on either of those characters or just like, yeah, they did a good job. Uh, yeah, not really much to add. Um, I, this is also coming from the commentary tracks, but Noah Wiley, he decided that his character had diabetes. And so in the scene where they're presenting um, their glasses for, you know, kids, babies and stuff, you see him pull mm-hmm. out like a candy or mint. He said, I added that because yeah. I was like, he has diabetes. You would not, I mean, it's not important, but it was important to him. And I just thought it was sure. interesting. So I was like, wow, he really took this character that doesn't have much to do necessarily and added a lot to that. So I thought that was interesting. And um, mm-hmm. I went to a very um, alternative high school starting in my second year of high school and through and so the those two teachers are like every teacher I had in high school um I will say one thing I don't appreciate about this movie I don't like about this movie honestly is much as I love it I do not like Drew Barrymore's character telling Gretchen to sit next to the boy she thinks is the cutest I think that is a horrible awful thing to have a teenage girl have to do and I'm glad that it worked out the way it did but uh i still cringe every time she's i'm like what a, that's an awful thing to do to kids and teenagers mm-hmm. um but overall i I liked her and i still love when she yells fuck <laughs> mm-hmm. that, so, yeah. see in my interpretation of that moment it, it's cringy and it's awkward but i feel like she's also calling out kind of a more typical teen behavior, new kid yeah. teen behavior of like, well, where do I sit? It's like, well, you're gonna want to sit next to the cutest. Boy. So it's just calling it whether or not that make that doesn't make it okay. But <laughs> because of this kind of more like in your face teacher, seemed to fit that character. The little bit that we did get, it kind of made sense. Very much like a pushing the boundaries, and I don't give a shit, yeah. <laughs> even though these are children. But. I, I agree. That's not something like teachers should be doing, making teens feel even more awkward. Yeah. Um, but I, I I thought it was yeah. It 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 was it is what it is. But um, I thought it was interesting too that it's uh, Noah Wiley's character that is awake at the end and not Drew Barrymore's character. Where you would think 
almost opposite, but maybe it was Noah's character because he was the one that gave yeah. Donnie the book. I think that's why, probably. I don't know, but yeah. All right, so we'll go ahead and start moving towards the wrapping it up portion. So stray bubbles, last chance to bring up notes, fun facts, final rants, and raves. I just you get it all out, or you got a little bit left. Uh, I could always keep going, but I, I'll only do. A I couple suppose of I'll just do two. I'll just do two. two I'll just do two quotes. Uh, the first one, just because it always makes me laugh every time. What are feces, baby mice? Oh, <laughs> that is the best. <laughs> One of the best, I think, I think the director of Blue said, I will never write anything as great as those lines ever again. Because it really is just so great because it's just, is that something that kids would say because they wouldn't know? And just the, aww, mm-hmm. just the reaction, aww, baby mice, aww. <laughs> um, And then, because I just think this is a beautiful line at the, at the end when Donnie says, when the world comes to an end, I can breathe a sigh of relief because there will be so much to look forward to. And I just think it's a beautiful line that's from a letter he writes. And mm-hmm. I just, I love that line so much. So. Awesome. Well, I think I got everything I needed to get out for now, but I mean, I don't know if we need to revisit in another year or so, cause I'll rewatch and be like, Aaron, <laughs> <laughs> I got a new thing for us. <laughs> Yeah, if anyone out there ever wants to talk about this movie with me, you can always contact me. (laughs) Whatever. All right, so now on to the Midwest goodbye. And this is the beginning of the end where we'll spend the next X number of minutes wrapping it up and closing it out. So with Erin here uh, from her podcast, It's a Fandom Thing, she plays a little game called The Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock. So... And to celebrate Podcast Crossover Day, we will be playing the Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock here right now. So it's, you know, it's just like the Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage that is done on this podcast, um, but obviously for Finn Whitrock, um, because he's adorable and because it's just fun to do. So um, let's see, Aaron. This is your gig. What have you br- would you bring for us? Awesome. I loved doing both of these, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. So for Finn, uh, I started with Beth Grant, who, you know, as as Jen has said, is incredible. The amazing, incredible Beth Grant. Um, not to keep plugging my podcast episode, but, <laughs> but Josh Rubin shares, I believe, I believe it was part of the episode, um, shared like a little story about, about Beth Grant. So, um, so definitely listen for that too. Uh, but Beth Grant was in the show, the Mindy project with the best Chris out there, Chris Messina, who was in the movie air with Ben Affleck, who was in the snail propaganda film, deep water with Finn Whitrock. Awesome. Awesome. So the one that I have, I actually came across while I was doing the six degrees of Nicolas Cage. So I went with uh, Jolene Purdy who plays, um, Oh God damn it. What was her name? Cause I miswrote down her name. Janita. Chen. Yeah. Shanita. Shanita, um, Sharita, Sharita, Sharita. Yes. Um, she, and, and Jolene's also in, I think it's the first season of white Lotus. So it was really awesome to see her there, but she was also in, uh, an episode of raising hope. 
with Garrett Dillahunt, who was in an episode of White Collar with Matt Bomer, season one, episode four, <laughs> American Horror Story with our Finny Fin Fin. Finny so. Fin Fin. <laughs> I just, you know, and since it was you today, I'm like, oh, I got to throw out American Horror Story. <laughs> and Matt Bomer. So. And Matt Bomer. I don't know if you've watched Little Travelers so, yet, but. He's so, I have not, but he is so good. I did watch the uh, finished Doom Patrol. And so, you know, he's in it, you know, the sexiest man in raps and spoilers, you do see his face in the, in, in the end. And I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, like just all caps in my notes. I was like, not expecting that at all. And I was like, I'm so happy. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> all right. So now on to the six degrees of Nicolas Cage. So again, from Donnie Darko, we get to Nicolas Cage in six steps or less. So... How'd you do? I really like this one, too. So I used Richard Kelly. So Richard Kelly also directed the horrible movie, The Box. Sorry. (laughs) I don't like this movie. Um, And Cameron Diaz is in The Box, who was in Charlie's Angels with Sam Rockwell, who was in Matchstick Men with Nicolas Cage. And I love that also because I do use Sam Rockwell, and I love, love Sam Rockwell. And I love him in that movie, too. And I love Nicolas Cage in that movie, too. I think that's one of the underappreciated Nicolas Cage movies. So, um, Well, I've been watching a lot of Supernatural still, of course, because that's my podcast, too. So I'm watching because of that. Um, I've been re-watching Abbott Elementary. Um, I've been watching a lot of stuff that, like, I've already seen because of... Um, uh, a death in the family so i've been watching a lot of stuff that i've already seen it doesn't take a lot of concentration from me um and so i rewatched um freaky freaky the movie freaky which is a great horror comedy if you haven't seen it um i rewatched um werewolves within which is the movie that josh Rubin directed which by the way you can watch um donnie darko if you don't want to watch it with commercials you can watch that on Shutter as well. And that's also where you can see oh. Werewolves Within. And then I rewatched, since I'm a Michael Myers person, I was on one of the episodes here talking about Halloween. Um, I watched mm-hmm. Halloween Kills. Um, rewatched that. I watched this, oh, this, I don't remember even what it's called. And I can't remember what it's called, but it's an awful movie, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's an awful horror movie, so I scratched that. Um, it's so stupid. Um, and I watched Killers of the Flower Moon for the first time because I want to watch mm. all the movies nominated. And um, that was and and I actually really really liked it. I I understand the criticism of it. Remember, this is a three and a half hour long movie, so be prepared for that. I was fine with the length. Um, I mm-hmm. think Lily Gladstone is fantastic. I love the fact that not a single white character in here. Leonardo DiCaprio's character is never treated as a hero because he's not. He was a scum. It's a real character. He's a scumbag, horrible human being. And he's never treated as anything but a horrible human being. And I appreciated that. It was never a white savior thing. It's not, it's not really a love story. So I really I really enjoyed that one. Um, I feel like there's a bunch more I could mention. And now it's just all... Has it's all escaped my brain, so apologies. But I was I listed a lot, so there you go. I don't know. There you go. Yeah, that works. So, um, I uh, well, I did a rewatch of Abbott Elementary not too long ago to gear up for um, 
season three. So we've started that and let out. Oh, and then we watched um, me, my husband and our oldest. We watched uh, Nailed It, the great baking challenge or the baking challenge. So rather than a typical Nailed It format where it's just like three contestants and they're kind of on their own. Uh, in this one, they start off with 10. They have two professional uh, bakers on set to give them, they do like a baking 101 bit where the the professional bakers kind of show how to work with fondant or buttercream or, you know, properly stacking cakes, you know, just all these kind of things um, involved in baking and, and decorating. And then the challenge is they get like a big cake that, you know, they have to recreate using the skills that they had learned in the baking 101 so by the end of the season you know and it's down to the two contestants they have to incorporate everything that they've learned into their great big bakes and nailed it, it the, the the show is hilarious but it's also so sweet and heartwarming because all these contestants are so supportive of each other and whenever someone is uh has to leave the kitchen, you know, they're, they're always so grateful about everything that they've learned and in, in that short time. And it's just, it's really nice to see these competition shows where they're not like gunning for each other. Like, you know, like, uh, I'm going to set it up and like, so they get screwed over and yada, yada, it, you know, it's all in like, it's all very lovely and kind. And, and then the host, Nicole Byer and Jacques Torres, who's a, professional chocolatier um they're all excited because they're like we get to eat good cakes we finally <laughs> after like seven eight seasons finally get to eat delicious desserts and it was just it's just such a fun show and so we finished that and it just kind of got us wanting to like do more baking so i gotta bake some cookies a little later today but and then i was doing a rewatch of the witcher the first two seasons because i had seen those Hubby joined in somewhere around season two. So we finished season two and now we're on to season three. But since now Hubby's invested, I have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, I think we're about halfway through already. So that's not too bad. Yeah, I've been enjoying that. I'm slightly obsessed with Witcher, all things Witcher, Witchyverse right now because I've played the game. I beat the game. I beat the main quests, the main, main storyline. But I'm still not even like 50% through the game in terms of full completion. So I'm just like, oh my God, there's so much, but I love it so much. So, um, yeah, that's good enough. <laughs> that's good enough. <laughs> we'll stop there. So, all right. Well, I want to thank you, my lovely podcast brain twin for being here today. And, um, I want to make sure all the listeners know to check out, it's a fandom thing podcast. It's a Dean thing podcast and our podcast win it to win it so if you want to let us know where they can listen to those because i don't have the twin it to win it stuff written down right on the on my notes in uh -oh. front of me <laughs> um i'll do that one last then because i i don't yeah 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 um <laughs> all right i'll get so, it so uh it's a fandom thing you can be found on all all podcast platforms including jen's favorite pandora uh i have to hey. say it every single one <laughs> Uh, and you can follow uh, It's a Fandom Thing on Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. And then at It's a Fandom Thing Pod on TikTok, uh, Facebook, um, Threads, Instagram, all of those. Um, I have a website too. It's a fandom thing pod .com. 
for It's a Dean Thing. You can follow It's a Dean Thing on pod on TikTok, Instagram, threads, Blue Sky Social, (laughs) 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 and um, Twitter. You can follow us there, and you can listen to us on most podcast platforms. We're not on Pandora yet. So, yeah. So, there you go, Jen. I'm not on Pandora (laughs) yet. And then... um, I was trying to pull up the Twin It to Win It stuff. So Twin It to Win It, you can follow. You can listen to us on most podcast platforms. Uh, our Twitter handle is Twin It to Win Pod. So no second it in that. And then our Instagram, Facebook, threads, it's all Twin It to Win It Pod. We're not on TikTok. I don't know if we'll ever become TikTokers with that podcast. I'm like, I already have enough TikTok. I don't know if we need to do another one. Um, I think that's, did I cover all of those? Yeah. Okay. There we go. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I need to make sure and write down the, um, twin it to win it stuff. Cause I didn't have that the last time I did it. I did a recording either. I'm so organized. So. <laughs> all right. So yeah. So make sure you, everyone checks those, um, podcasts out, give them a listen, plenty to choose from lots of fun. Um, and of course, don't forget to listen to and follow. I mean, you are listening to this podcast, but don't forget to follow it. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. No, my in that Facebook, Instagram threads as my streaming bubble and on almost all podcast platforms that aren't too uppity with themselves. Pandora. Uh, <laughs> that's my streaming bubble. So again, Thank you, Aaron, for being here. Thank you to all the lovely bubblies for listening. And until next time, keep streaming. Bye. Bye. And here are my six degrees of Nicolas Cage. So I obviously went with Beth Grant, and she was in Willy's Wonderland with Nick. My second six degrees, I used Jolene Purdy. She was in an episode of Raising Hope with Garrett, Garrett Dillahunt who is in No Country for Old Men with Tommy Lee Jones, who is in Firebirds with Nicolas Cage. And I guess I think that movie has like a 4.7 rating on IMDb. And I, I I feel like that's probably deserved, even though I haven't seen it or even really heard of it. I don't know. I did have one extra Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock uh, that I did end up sharing during that cut bit. Um, and since Aaron went snail movie, I was like, you know what? I'll go snail movie. So from Jenna Malone, she was in Batman versus Superman with Batfleck, who was in that snail movie with our Finny Finn Finn. So there you have it. That's all the cut bits. Uh, again, super sorry about that, but thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you still really enjoyed the episode. And if you have anything to share, please let me know in the socials that I had previously mentioned. All right, that's it. Bye.